Please be seated. And as you're seated, please turn in your Bible to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. We'll be in Matthew chapter 2. If you need a Bible, please grab a Bible inside of the foyer. Grab one on your way in. You can grab one right now. Um, we'll just kind of go verse by verse. That's what we're doing through the book of Matthew. And it's helpful um, for us to do that together to uh, follow along inside of our own copy of God's Word. I want to mention that if you have a three or four year old, we do have junior worship. So if you have a three and four year old and you're thinking, oh no, they didn't get dismissed, you are welcome to be dismissed. In fact, if we ever forget, just realize that from here until the end of um, end of May, we'll be having um, junior worship. Three and four year olds invited into the uh, room in the corner there as they wish to do that. So very thankful for Jacob and Scott and that song. You know, he's taken all our sins and he's changed it for his righteousness. What good news that is. Amen. Very good news. All right. So Matthew chapter two, we're going to be focusing on verses one through 12 today in our study of the gospel of Matthew. Hear God's word. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but his word stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, this particular text, we know that you have something for it, for us in it. Father, as a congregation, to be instructed in your word. Father, for us individually, to be instructed by your word. But it's your Holy Spirit who ultimately is that teacher. It's your Holy Spirit who brings eternal spiritual truths and bears them upon our hearts and souls that we would apply them. And so, Father, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Lead and guide us, Father, by him, Father, to understand what your word says, why you gave it to us, and, Father, then to apply it. This is a spiritual work. We ask for spiritual help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we want to talk about searching and finding spiritual truth. We search for all kinds of things in our lives. Uh, we search for a job or a career. We may search for a spouse and we may search for our car keys, but we need to consider our spiritual 
search, the spiritual search that we're on. So we see happening in our passage today. We see in verses one and two, some wise men searching for a child who had been born king of the Jews. They went on a search for spiritual truth and they found it. Now we also see other actors at play here in this, this account. We see Herod, we see some scribes, teachers of the law, we see also the, the citizens of Jerusalem. All of them are present in this place as well and we see other different reactions to him. We see an outright rejection and we see indifference. So what you see here is you know, one message, a star, a sign that pointed to the king of the Jews, and you see some responding and following after it, and you see another group that is rejecting it and turning away from it. It makes us think about the powerful force of faith, faith in our world, but also helps us think about secularism, and secularism, unbelief inside of our world. I want to talk about secularism. It's something I think a lot about as we see the nature of changes inside of our world today. And Secularism, at its uh, simple definition, it's that, it's that principle of separation between the state and from religious institutions. But secularism that we see around us is broader than that. It's really the separation of any formal religious belief from all parts of society. We see it all around us as our culture secularizes. We see more and more people reject the idea that theological or moral convictions have any place in society at all, not in government or in schools or in business and laws. In secularizing societies, even churches are marginalized and, and suspected. The secularization grows to simply believe differently than the cultural elites is said to be immoral and sometimes even treated as criminal. We live in a highly secular age and it's increasingly so. Uh, in a recent poll, 27% of the U.S. public now says they are unaffiliated with any religion. So if they were to get, be given a survey and they said, what you know, religious affiliation do you have? And they were to check a box next to one of them, you know, 27% say none. And so when we hear the rise of the nuns, it's not talking about ladies in black and white clothing. It is talking about the, the relig changing religious landscape in America as more and more people say they have no religious affiliation. But, this might surprise you, that people are still very religious. Secularism has not made people less religious. It has only changed their patterns and the direction of their worship. In a secularized world, religious belief is much more internalized, much more internalized, internal, inside of us. One author recently wrote this. He said, modern people are indeed seeking for the sacred, but they're not looking for the Christian God. They're looking instead for the divine in themselves. So he talks about the divine in themselves. Our secular age is the age of the sacred self. Sort of a reversion to older forms of pagan religion where people try to bring out the inner God within themselves. Instead of seeing themselves under you know, this objective, um, transcendent God, they see themselves as needing something vaguely spiritual to bring out that inner goodness and have a display into the world. A 2017 Pew Research study, it showed that although people say they are spiritual but not religious, um, they do, do um, they practice this spirituality in certain ways. 
62% of Americans believe that at least one tenet of New Age philosophy is true, like crystals or meditation or some of the things which comes through New Age philosophy. 33% of people believe in reincarnation, and 58% of Americans believe that astrology is scientific. The fastest growing religion in America is currently Wicca, which is a form of witchcraft. So we're surrounded by people who are spiritual, but not very religious. They may not have a religious affiliation, but that doesn't mean that they're any less um, spiritual in their practices. They want some form of spirituality, but they reject those outward forms as any form of obligation upon them. Uh, There are people who want a form of spirituality that makes them feel good about themselves and draws them outward. I mean, and it's not sometimes just out there. A lot of the secularization in this attitude also comes into the way we think about our own faith. Sometimes sometimes we can think it's about us, and it becomes very internal instead of seeing ourselves under a transcendent, almighty God. Do people want what's true? That's the challenge that we need to think about. It seems that people want what works, but yet on the other side, to not demand too much of them. Do people want what's true to the existence and the form of the universe? Do they want what's true to the creative plans of God in the Bible? Do they want what's true to actual events that happen in history? Do they want those things even if it challenges their wants and desires? Often those wants and desires which seem to be preeminent in the hearts and minds of people. The search for, de- for the divine in ourselves is the rejection of what God has revealed, and it doesn't lead to eternal life. So what we see in the early chapters of Matthew is that God has decisively shown us where spiritual truth is found. It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is spiritual truth. And that's because for any of us to find the spiritual truth we need, we need to go to Jesus. He answers our spiritual needs. He shows the source of meaning, morals, a pattern of life that leads to good. That's what I want to look at today. Three points. The first one is the search for spiritual truth. So if we look at verses one and two, we see some wise men who sought after this. Verse one starts off by saying, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? These were wise men, sometimes called magi, but probably not kings, as the Christmas carol says. It says they were from the east, from the Persian areas. Uh, They probably did not know a lot of Jewish scriptures. Uh, Still, they knew that something special was happening, and that's because they had a sign. A sign, that sign was the star. While they may not have known the promises of God or the prophecies of the scripture, The star showed them that something special had happened and they needed to respond to that message. One of the things that draws many to the Christian faith is the realization that that God has done something special in Jesus Christ, something they need. Oftentimes people are drawn to faith in Christ because they realize that they're spiritually empty, that their belief systems aren't working, and they need something new. Life isn't working like it should. They looked at the religious systems that are around them, the spiritual practices of others, and just thinking, you know, people just made these things up. And they look for something to hold on to. Oftentimes, that's when a, God brings a Christian into their life. Maybe they hear something on the radio, and that message 
tells them to pick up and read, read the Bible, look in there for find life. Augustine, St. Augustine, the great church leader from the 300s, he was a man who was witnessed to regularly by his mother, but he, he didn't respond. He had an unbelieving father, and for so many years of his life, he, he listened to his father more than his mother, but there came a time when he was in great distress, just very, very much troubled by the things that were happening in his life, and it was then as he was just thinking near a park, and he heard some children playing. Those children were playing a game, and somehow the game had them say, tole lege. They said, tole lege, which means in Latin, take up and read. And for him, it was a remembrance of what his mother had been t- t- telling him, and, uh, and you know, the conviction that he needed to pick up the Bible and he needed to start reading it. It flooded over him, and he, and he did. He picked it up, and he read it. But this time he read it with uh, eyes of faith, and eventually coming to faith in Christ, converted his heart. That's the story that's been repeated many times. It's the story of my life when things aren't working the way that they should be and I'm looking for something more than myself, more than um, you know, the blowing winds of our culture, where it's going, something grounded to root myself in and God at that right time put a Christian in my life who pointed me towards Jesus. I've heard your stories. Your stories tell the same story you know, about finding hope in Jesus Christ, a time when you needed something. Some signs, something showed up to show you to look to Christ and to find hope in Him. It just shows the importance of being ready to share our faith, right? At least to talk about Jesus. People are looking for hope. People are looking for help. You know, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to, to point them to Jesus? Are you ready to, to share the truth of the gospel with them? That's why we do the Share Your Faith workshop, as it starts tomorrow, is just to really be ready to. To, to share Christ. In verses 1 and 2, the wise men, you know, they went to people who should know. They should have known about the king because they really wanted to know. And really, that's the special place that we're at. When God is renewing a person's heart, you know, they're not going to find it in the answers in themselves. They're looking outward. And that's when God will bring you into other people's lives. They can hear from us. They hear something about Jesus, what he can do. They hear about how he can restore them to God, how he deals with guilt, the shame. And they want to know how that happens. They see the difference that it's made inside of your life as you talk about that. We have a wonderful opportunity to be hospitable to every person who comes to us. We're like the people in Jerusalem here who, who they have these wise men approaching them with these profound questions. We have the chance to share about sin and forgiveness and about repentance and faith. The great physicist Blaise Pascal once said, he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum at the center or at the heart of every person and it cannot be filled with any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. So people, they're wondering, how do I fill that hole? How do I fill that hole of meaning? How do I find that hole of, 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 of purpose? How do I find that hole of, of a clear conscience? How do I, how do I fill those, that And we have the special opportunity of sharing the only thing that is the right size to fill that hole, and that's Jesus. The answer is not found inside of them. It has to come from outside. It's important to think that the the wise men saw a star, something that was provided to them by God. There There are some who believe that it was some astronomical sign, the ordinary rotation, you know, of the stars above us, you know, it could well have been that. Stars on the planets lining up. 
to point to something happening. Or others believe it was a supernatural light that was given to the wise men directly. Whichever it was, the star is outside of themselves. It was objective. And it pointed to something objective. It pointed to an historical event that was happening at that time. It pointed to the birth of Jesus. And we need that. We need something objective outside of us pointing as God the transcendent creator and what he's doing inside of this world and what he's already done. That's what the Bible is for us, right? I mean, it is a testimony to who God is. It is a testimony to what God has done. It is a testimony in a lot of ways to what God still is doing in our world today. It's a testimony to knowing where forgiveness of sin is, of peace with God is, where reconciliation from, with God comes from. It comes through Christ. Verse 2 shows us they didn't exactly know where they were going. Verse 2 goes on, we saw his star when it rose. We've come to worship him. They didn't have all the answers in themselves. One of the problems with modern religion is that when people think the answers are inside themselves, is they fail to understand what human nature is like. Ephesians 2.1 describes our nature as spiritually dead. There's no spiritual wisdom in us. The Bible says we're sinful and rebellious against God. We're decidedly non-spiritual. We're finite. We're limited. In the end, we'll die. I mean, if, if these things are true, it's silly to look inside of us to f- try to find the spiritual truth. Spirit, the truth is outside. It's, God has shown it to us in his word. He has the answer to life's problems. There's a creator, and spiritual truth is only found in him. It's, it's recorded his testimony for all history. So if you're looking, for your, looking inside of yourself for spiritual truth, you need to stop. There, there's, it's not there. Look outside. Look to Jesus Christ. Get in the Bible. See what he says. What he says about you is more important than what you say about yourself, and it's, it's probably more honest as well as more hopeful at the same time. So next thing we want to look at, after we've seen that search for spiritual truth and the, we see these wise men, the second thing we see is the opposition of the world to that spiritual truth. And we start to see that in verse 3. We see the opposition in two forms. One is fear, and the other is indifference. Verse 3, we see the response of King Herod. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now the word here for troubled here refers to an acute emotional distress or turbulence. An acute emotional distress or turbulence. In other words, these are not just feeling concerned. I mean, this is just straight out. I'm bothered, greatly bothered. Greatly bothered by this, into the point of anger. This is not just a questioning or a wondering. This is the sort of feeling of a threat, which leads into anger and wanting to do something about that. It makes sense, given Herod's great desire for power. Herod is called the Great. He's called the Great because of his ability to conquer the Palestinian area and then hold it for so many years uh, together, um, you know, under the Romans' approval. He was known for reviving the land through, uh, there was difficult famines they faced, and he was able to bring them through that. He was also known for great building projects. Our Israel team just came back, and, and they um, saw some of those great building projects that he was involved with still. Um, they're in ruins today, but, you know, we still see their ruins They're going to share their trip with us on October 15th. We look forward to hearing those things. He built the temple. 
modern Temple Mount. But he's also known for his suspicious nature, especially as he lived out the latter parts of his life. He was so hungry for power early in his, early in his reign that he divorced his wife and exiled her and his son so he could marry another woman and gain more power for himself. Towards the end of his life, he got suspicious that his wife and then his sons later, that they were working against his rules, so he had them killed. You know, so hearing the news that a supposed king was born um, would have upset him. And he was used to exterminating people who would come against his rule. He wasn't going to let some upstart Messiah, some supposed king of the Jews, to cause a problem. He had plans for his future and the transfer of his kingdom. So the birth of Jesus was a threat. Herod was troubled. Chapter 2, later on, we'll see he'll, he'll kill every child under age 2. He's a man with deep opposition. Verse 8, if we read that, we see him pretending to be interested in the birth of this child. He says, go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. You know, but we know he's not sincere. We know he's just wanting to eliminate that threat. But it's not just... Herod, who's troubled. If you look back at verse 3, it says all Jerusalem was troubled with him. 